in the universe, there are things that are known and things that are unknown. And in between them, there are doors. William Blake. Bending, not breaking. Season 5, episode 10. A new spiritual age. to Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And we are here for another episode. I hope y'all are staying warm and cozy. It's pretty it's chilly. chilly over here. We're yeah. in North Carolina. Yeah. So that's concerning. Yeah. It's uh, that it's super cold. It's the coldest I've ever remember it being. Yep. Right? Ugh. Isn't Ugh. life fun? Life is fun. Hmm. Well, let's work towards a better future if we have one. Uh, and so let's... <laughs> We're, to do that, we're going to talk about some more Legend of Korra. Yeah, that's why we're watching the show. Yeah, to, <laughs> to, to, to hopefully have a better future. Hopefully, keyword. Um, oh, but man. we're doing it today with some wonderful guests. Ben, who do we have with us today? I am so glad you asked. I'm really excited because today we have some pretty special guests. I have been looking for a really special guest, especially for this episode. Because it's just so cool. There's so much here. There's so much going on in this episode. And we wanted to tackle it with with more than just us. And because it was so important, we ended up getting not just one guest, but two. That's right. We have two guests, and I would love to introduce you to them. Their names are Sky and Brenna. Sky uses they, them pronouns. Brenna uses she, her pronouns. And they are the hosts of the Queer Archive. They are a queer and feminist podcast and they are focusing all on doctor who in that podcast which is pretty neat and so those of you who are listening that enjoy doctor who highly recommend checking that out the key thing important thing to note is that they are also cora fans and they are spoiler alert big fans (laughs) of the red lotus theme this is a big thing for them so i'm welcoming both of you welcome how are you How's life? Tell us a little bit about you. Give us the full detail. What's the rundown? Oh, we are living the dream, but we're on the West Coast, so. Also freezing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it got a whole, like, 60 degrees the other day. Oh, baby, no. And um, that, that was a hard wow. time for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, that makes sense. to be fair, we do not have a single heater in this house. Which, you know, it's not a big deal outside of basically this month where you can wake up and see your breath um, walking around the house. And then every other day it's 72 and sunny. Those East Coasters do not have any sympathy for our struggle, baby. <laughs> I really tried. Uh, no. No. Sorry, sorry. Sympathy may be the wrong word. Ben doesn't <laughs> like to spend money on, air, on heat either. So even uh, though we do have a heater uh, where we're at. Uh, it still stays 60. Nice. <laughs> yep. We bundle up. I feel that. Bundle up. Yeah. That you can always tradition. put on more clothes, y'all. <laughs> it's true. Well, Sky, Breno, welcome. We're we're really glad that you're here today. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, we invited you all to be just uh, on this episode. And I'm curious if you could just help our listeners know a little bit, like, 
what what is your relationship with the avatar universe you've kind of told us or i guess i told them that <laughs> they uh that you all like um cora but what what's your relationship with cora and the avatar universe at large man we were talking earlier before we started recording we stumbled into guesting on such a good episode this is like one of the best episodes of cora for me because it's just so rich mm. absolutely when did you start watching, Brenna? Oh, okay. So if we're doing our Doctor Who origin story, but for Korra. Yes, we are. No. <laughs> I actually watched Avatar The Last Airbender a year after it finished. I had never seen mm. it, didn't know anything about it. And I had like three friends come to me at once and go, you have to watch this. You're going to love it. So we did. And I did. And then Cora came out, and I watched that as it aired. And I actually, not to name drop, but I actually knew somebody who worked on Cora, so that was actually really fun. Stop it. <laughs> no, okay, but like, who? Who did you know? This is important. <laughs> and can you get us in touch with them? Um, I can ask if they would be interested. Right? Actually, they worked on the production side, so there were conversations okay. that we had where I was like. Hey, what about this? And they're like, oh, that's so funny. Actually, we did that because of these reasons. Or that voice actor is very, very nice. And I was always like, thank you very much. Hmm. That's the kind of end that we need. Oh, right? Is, see, it's already, it's already, what a serendipitous episode already. I know. <laughs> what about you, Sky? What's okay. your, your origin yeah. story for Avatar? I watched Avatar in high school. It was maybe the most nerdiest thing I did in high school. <laughs> I wasn't much of a nerd in high school. I am now. Oh, how the times have changed. It, the table is so turned. Um, <laughs> here we are. But I did go dressed up in cosplay to, unfortunately, <laughs> the live action movie <laughs> with all of my oh, really excited high school friends. Um, showed up. I was, um, I was Katara. I had a broken leg, so I was in a cast, but the, the rest of me, very Katara, the hair loopies and everything, um, and it was a very disappointing night, but. <laughs> I wonder why. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't talk about that. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, other than that, very fond memories of watching it with um, some friends from my childhood, and then just was hooked, and eventually came around to watching Cora, not as it aired, but um, in college. I watched it with some of my art friends in art school. Awesome. This is so cool because I think having our listeners know just a little bit more about where you're coming from because we've had a, a guests on the show that have never seen it before and we've had guests that have watched just a few episodes and so kind of giving them yeah. kind of the, the in on y'all's story is helpful. I don't know if we had a guest who went and saw the live action in theaters. Which, uh, <laughs> that is uh, true. A dubious <laughs> honor. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh... So before we jump into this, uh, I, I want to know a little bit about Doctor Who. Because I've got questions. Oh, oh yes. we've got answers. I've never watched before. I've never seen it an episode. Do I have to go back to like no the mid sixties? No, no. When they first please, dear God, hearing? no. Like, where do I need? To, where do I have to start? <laughs> oh, God knows the answer. Like, not just like you don't have to, but like don't do it. Yeah, don't. <laughs> no. Okay. Not that it's not lovely. Not that you shouldn't ever watch it if you really got into it. It's worth it. But that's just not where you start. 
well, pretty some, much most Doctor do Who fans and love it. Some most Doctor fair. Who fans just wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, it's rough. Let's just put it that way. It's rough. And I would say that every Doctor Who fan has a different answer to your question. That's also true. As far as which episode do I start with? But there are some reoccurring uh, suggestions. Um, our suggestion, I believe, was uh, "Woman Who Fell to Earth" because mm-hmm. that is the latest Doctor who is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I have, I love all the Doctors for the most part, uh, but she's a great one to start with because it was a really turning point for the show, um, intentionally um, from the showrunner's perspective, uh, where they really wanted to make it as accessible as possible for onboarding new new viewers. Um, and on top of that, like I said, she's just lovely. The first woman doctor, like what's not to love? Jodie um, Whittaker rules. Jodie Whittaker is yeah, that's a win. Yeah, <laughs> wildly. She's so uh, talented. Wildly talented. Um, so definitely, that's a great onboarding situation. There's some other past doctors that you can jump on board too. What would you say? Um, maybe the eleventh hour. Right I think now? most people would recommend the eleventh hour, which is the first episode of the eleventh Doctor. If they're not recommending the woman who fell to Earth, then they would say go back to the eleventh hour. The base premise of the show, which we did not cover earlier, uh, is that there is a <laughs> alien who travels through time and space in a blue box, and they don't die; they regenerate. So when they when something happens to the Doctor, that would kill a normal person they just make a new body and start over they have all their memories kind of like the avatar actually they have all their access to their previous memories but they're also a new person at the same time so it's a both and situation exactly mm, interesting uh-huh it's very avatar we found the connection <laughs> all right speaking of avatar and speaking of uh cora we are diving into this episode uh, through a very specific lens yeah, we are. liminality. What is that? Oh. Right? So, like... <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I'm uh, waiting for this answer, too. Okay, so I'm going to answer your question, but it's important for you yes. to know that I am an English professor and an unrepentant English major. So I'm going to go all the way back to Genna, but just for a second, and then you're going to hear lots of words like structuralism and post-structuralism and you can just be like that's enough <laughs> like you can cue me just give me the old cane yank off stage anytime um fantastic it's, it's important for you to know that i have once read a book hey so, uh, we're on the same page sort of <laughs> yeah. so here we go so liminality the first person who writes it down and talks about it is this dutch he's actually an anthropologist um his name is arnold van Gennep. And he actually, the book he writes it in is called Rites of Passage. And he's talking about small scale societies like tribes and ceremonies that mark changes in status. So he specifically focuses on rituals that mark the sort of change from a child to a grown up. And Mm. he demarcates it as there's basically three phases, preliminal, liminality, and then post-liminal. So the liminal space is the one between the before and after, the known categories, child and adult. Liminality is that thing that's happening in the middle, where the rite of passage is happening. So he's the first one who coins that. And then it gets kind of buried in a bunch of other stuff. And then this other, another man, his name is Victor Turner, in the 60s, I'm going to use big scare quotes that you can't see, he rediscovers it, as if knowledge is something that can be rediscovered. Um, But Uh he writes about it and then he says, yes, also, and 
it's not just small scale societies, but just like society and life in general. So he expands it outwards. And from there, then you get to the structuralists and then the post-structuralists and it goes gangbusters after that. Because structuralists are people who think, so structuralism was, we can organize and understand the world based on sort of set pieces, basic knowledge about things, categories. And then the post-structuralists and the post-modernists were like, that assumes that there is one truth and that's just not true because context is king. So after all that mess, you get to liminality is basically the space between known quote-unquote categories messy but it'll do i think that's no i think that's helpful and it's interesting to think about it as you know this space between childhood and adulthood right which some people would just label the teen years but it's so much more nuanced than that yeah it's one of those things where i i think another way to think about liminality for, for me that's helped me kind of process is in our culture and society, anytime there's an imposed binary, yeah, when that binary is being challenged by something that's not quite fitting it, that's also liminality, right? Yes. It's living in this liminal space. And so that's, that's kind of how I've processed liminality. Um, if, if that's helpful too. Yes. Well, and, and for me, other questions would be, uh, do groups of people fall into liminal spaces? Do, do folks who are, are marginalized in our society, are they constantly in a space of, of, of liminality? Um, uh, you know, are there, are there ebbs and flows to that as, as people kind of go through life? And, and how does that affect us and the way that we navigate the world around us? Yeah. And I think, so Victor Turner, the second guy who picked up liminality, he wrote, liminality can't be for forever. It's a, it's a crisis state that has to resolve. So you either return backwards to the, the sort of established binary, or you move forwards through the, into the post-liminal state where you've kind of achieved a new identity or status, whatever it might be. So he would say, mm. no, there is no extended liminal state, but... Like I was saying, the post-structuralist, post-modernists, they were like, you're assuming there's only one like kind of knowledge or one kind of ideology. So a lot of the postmodernists, I'm thinking about um, Gayatri Spivak, who wrote Can the Subaltern Speak? She talked about how marginalized people, or she says people on the margins, or otherwise you might call them the silent, silenced center, they're always going to be living in the liminal state because this, the sort of ideology that controls the world or shapes the world around them eliminates them from being one of the known categories, even though that's not true for them as a people, but mm. it's like the sort of modes of power around them, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. So as we go through this episode, what are things that we should be keeping in mind? What are the things we should be looking for? What are the things we should be aware of when we're talking about liminality? I think one of the things that I like about this episode so much, we were talking about this guy and I, when we watched this earlier, like last week, I was saying one of the things I really love about Cora is that it's so openly messy. So it, <laughs> it will try to say something and then it will also kind of disrupt its own thing as it's doing it. So this mm. episode is talking about the binaries of light and dark and it's trying to sort of upset the concept of the binary, right? Because it's saying there is light and dark, but they're inextricable from one another. They exist within mm. one another. But then it also still falls back into the language of light and dark. Light is good. Dark is bad. So I think that's something oh, that's to a good example. be yeah. watching in this episode and the rest of the season, frankly. I agree. That's a huge, huge thing to pay attention to with just Rava and Vatu in general. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's let's do this. Let's get into it. Let's talk about this episode. Yep. We gotta we gotta make sure we dive in fully, knowing what's going on. Yep. Right. Which, Jump into that spirit crocodile's mouth. Just go that, for it. That's right. And which means we're gonna invite Sunshine to recap the episode. Ben. Ben. Sunshine. Morally, you know you're wrong. <laughs> I'm when mor- you try to force your response, morally when you try to force your agreed upon responsibilities on to me i don't know if i agreed your to turn it. you have 30 seconds on the clock i really think that you should do it morally you're, you're better it's at your it than turn. i am uh it is a moral <laughs> issue why, at this why is that? I, I don't because this is it's not right to just blatantly lie i'm not lying mark get set go uh so my favorite ladies they you know get to the spirit world and then some spirits are like they have this real get off my lawn energy but you know cora sticks with cora energy and it goes not great and then janora tries to help but they get separated and then janora ends up at wanchitong's library they talk about radio she's captured by Uno. halfway Very there scary <laughs> oh, living on a prayer cora finds herself in a scary forest and is an itty bitty but it's all cool because ira invites her to a tea party and then with his help she gets lost finds a dragon bird spirit returns it and then janora gets lost spirit portal open and then unalak is the worst because he threatens children in Janora gets it. That's it. It's a great note to end on. Yeah. Is the worst. I don't like him. Oh, I was thinking when we were watching this episode earlier, I was like, when they do the recap episode in season four and they just portray him as a ridiculous, over-the-top vaudevillian villain, I was like, that is... It's the truest this show has ever been. And there's a lot of real great <laughs> yeah. truths in the show. <laughs> yeah, there's so many. Oh, well, the, it, doing the 30-second 30 re, 30 recap is, you know, a thing, and I <clears throat> did it. Um, <laughs> did but it. I also know that some people enjoy the challenge, and so I, I want to invite either of you or one of you or both it. of you to do your own recap if you would so choose. Most of our guests say no, but, I'll you know, some people say yes. <laughs> Sky said yes. <laughs> I'll do All it. All right. I am... <laughs> I am ready. We will count you in. Sunshine's going to be we on it. We just watched right, it. I'm three, so ready for this two, shit. One, go. Kor and Janora, they're in the spirit world. Trying to find the other portal, but they lose each other almost immediately. It's impressive how fast they lose each other. <laughs> Iroh finds Cora and the baby dragon. Janora finds books, gets kidnapped. Meanwhile, Cora helps herself by helping other someone else. <laughs> Again, AK Baby Dragon. They find a portal, but Janora gets trapped in the spirit world. Oops. Three, two, one. Oh, with time to spare. Perfect. Time to spare. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> you well did better than you got it. You just, I think it, sometimes concise is better. <laughs> I try. I mean, that's why it's 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we do this in 30 seconds. Oh, oh well. Well, we are. We've been schooled. This is wonderful. I like it. The more more other people do it, the happier I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you feel better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well done. All right. Well, we have successfully recapped, and now that means we have the joy of diving into the content. So here we go. Um, we are so excited to kind of have you all as kind of our, our guests, and therefore we want to give you kind of first dibs on what we talk about first. And so what's a moment of liminality in this episode that you would like to discuss? I think the one I already teed up, I tipped my hand to you, but it's actually pretty easy to spot the um, light-dark binary that they're playing with mm-hmm. in this episode. 
Um, and also it's sort of the broader way that plays out across the season. I think that's where my interest mm. lies. That's where your interest lies? Yeah. <laughs> I also, I mean, so, the other thing that's about that, sorry I stepped on you, but I'm going to keep going because it's what I do. No, please. Um, the other thing that I think is really important to talk about when you're thinking about liminality is fear. Because liminality is about sort of known or established, big scare quotes again, categories, things that make sense, scare quotes, and the liminal space is the space between. It's a really human instinct to sort, to categorize, to label. That's how we kind of move through the world. We tell ourselves stories. So when we run up against something that does not fit, as happens with Cora here, one of our often reactions is fear. So I think that's also something this episode is actively engaging with. It's asking, why do you feel fear? What do you do when you feel fear? When it's something that doesn't fit in with the way you've moved through the world. Hmm. So I, I want to, I'm going to ask some questions that I think will help help me understand um, a little bit more about what you're trying to kind of lift up for us. Um, I'm So I'm hearing one, the primary uh, low-hanging fruit, perhaps, uh, is that, you know, there's this binary of light and dark that is, I, you know, Iroh is probably one of his more famous quotes, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> like, and then it's also this, this, how that manifests in Korra and the, her capacity to navigate it with, her, in tandem with her fear. And so I'm, I'm curious if you could kind of tease out how fear and the binary of light and dark talk to each other because i understand what it means to be to be scared of the in-between right yeah. but what does it mean to be scared of the in-between between this dark and this light i think one of the things that's really helpful to or it's going to be helpful to me maybe it will be helpful to you is another theorist her name is julie kristeva but she writes about um she's engaging with liminality um and she calls it abjection, A-B, not objection, abjection. And she says the abject is um, basically when you run into something that challenges the borders of your concept of yourself. So it's both, she basically says you move through the world with I, capital I, me, and not I. That's kind of how you sift through the world. And when something bumps up against what you conceive as the border of yourself, that's when you experience this moment of, whoa, I don't know what to do with that information. An example she gives is zombies. She says zombies are abject because they're both not dead, they're not alive, but they are moving and they seem to want something. So they've got will, but it challenges your concept of life and death. Mm. So one of the things I think this episode plays with, it, it's playing with abjection um, is when when Cora gets scared at what I call the spirit tea party, she yeah. screams, the world starts to go dark, and then behind her, all the spirits start flipping to their dark selves, right? So I think mm -hmm. the fear that she experiences, which is totally fair, is that the darkness, you, it's everywhere. Like, you can't escape it. It's in there. You can you can shine the light. You can choose. Like Ira says, sometimes stuff that's really scary and dark, it's not so scary when you put a light on it, and that's a choice you have to make. But I think one of the things that this episode's really circling around, it's not just the low-hanging fruit of the binary, but also the fear of what do I do when the liminal state is kind of being pushed to its extreme, and I'm being asked is this liminal state actually real or is that something that I've just kind of 
made up to move through the world easier. Hmm. So in that okay. instance and in Cora's experience in this episode, in relationship to what you're talking about there with the abject, is it weird for Cora because really that divide between who she is as a contained like person is now blurred because she is almost the environment as well. The environment is changing according to herself, her yeah. emotions, it's affecting everything. So is that blurring of the divide kind of what you're talking about, what she gets really freaked out about? Yeah. I think Cora really is afraid of the darkness that's in herself and also does not feel comfortable with the fact that there is light in the dark around her. Later in the season, I think she gets more comfortable with it because she's able to kind of bring back Raba and she's able to reconnect with the Avatar spirit. But I think that is a huge point of crisis for her because Korra is really direct in how she moves through the world, right? She's an Enneagram mm -hmm. 8. She's firm. She's like, this is how it works. This is what I want. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. Gut instinct. So when stuff kind of rubs up against what she thinks is a right or a wrong and blurs a category, I think that's a big moment of existential crisis for her as an avatar versus mm. other avatars like um avatar yang chen i think ang is really comfortable with when something kind of like adjusts their knowledge i think they adjust as well i think kiyoshi's actually yeah. pretty good at it too she's probably the best at it. yeah i mean that's that's neutral jing right i wait and mm -hmm. i receive information and then i act on it and cora's not so i think it's really hard for her because she's so decisive and when something when new knowledge comes up she it, it's a frightening moment for her because she's like that doesn't make sense based on how i move through the world oh no yeah you're really reminding me in this conversation of my experience as uh like a middle schooler around you know, I, I worked with teens for a long time and i've i've noticed over time that that population tends to gravitate towards more binary thinking mm -hmm. gravitate towards this is this is wrong this is right and if it's not one of those things then i don't want to deal with it like <laughs> and um but also it's like more willing to say that the those the gray spaces for that for a word um for the between the black and white spaces is that that's really uncomfortable and so they're more willing to paint things that deserve more nuance as into the binary because they're unwilling to kind of make that change and i i'm sensing that this is kind of where cora is and the way that you kind of phrased it really helped me kind of see that that it's it's this fear of the world isn't going according to how i understand it and so it creates this fear right and so that's that's really very compelling i appreciate the way you kind of framed that i, I think we see, we see a lot of growth from cora in this episode and so yeah huge <laughs> yeah we do understatement <laughs> of the year um <laughs> But this this area of her being in the un, this unknown space, these unknown feelings, she's processing a lot. Do we see that in ourselves a lot of, of most of our growth, most of our um, processing and development happening in liminal spaces or spaces where we're uncomfortable? Or is, is, is that something that we see parallel in our real lives? Oh, yeah. I mean, the folks that have the hardest time with this concept obviously, or the places where I have the hardest time with this concept or anyone does, is when I actually fit in the binary, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's when you don't that you jump on this concept 
really easily. Right quick, yeah. With <laughs> lots of openness and acceptance and curiosity because you already know this to be true. I'm a biracial, non-binary person. And so in those two categories, I'm like, of course, like, I'm really open to talking about how these things are constructed. And we constructed them in such a way that, you know, puts them into these solid categories. And until we really acknowledge how arbitrary the categories are, they have a lot of power over us. Um, so to answer your question, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, short answer, it's yes. A, yeah, it totally reflects in the same way. I think that's such an interesting concept, uh, concept and one, not even a concept, one that's worth lifting up is when you are inside of the majority, when you are inside of the binary, challenging that belief is so much harder to do or to get challenged on that we're gonna see people get defensive we're gonna see people fight to hold on to their systems yeah um as we see cora as, do as right we see cora do right like and so to get to that place as individuals for us one if we're inside of those binary systems to to be willing to let an iro in our lives challenge it right like to to push that button a little bit and push us out of that comfort zone is going to be really important um, to acknowledge that, like, oh, yeah, that life isn't this yes and, uh, yes or no. It can be yes and. Um, and so I think that's important to lift up to our listeners is that if you're inside of those structures, if you're inside of that binary, it's going to take work and a willingness to, like, learn past that. Mm. Um, fantastic. You know, another binary yeah. that I just thought of that might come into play in our conversation later about the <laughs> Earth element is when we're talking about Cora's uncomfortability or discomfort, that's the word, with uh, the effect that she has on her surroundings is the construction of, like, the binary between, like, us as, like, humans who live on this earth and the earth itself. And a lot of indigenous knowledge doesn't really respect that binary. Yeah. It sees both those things as one and I think that a lot of the themes within Korra and deconstructing the the divide between the spirit world and the physical worlds play with that mm. a little bit in a really you know kind of just friendly playing type of way that doesn't poke too hard at it but there's definitely space for that um that knowledge to kind of be just as valid as we are totally separate as human beings. We have an ownership or um, a, there's a specific word that I'm reaching for, like over the land, right? Stewardship. It's stewardship. That's mm -hmm. what I grew up hearing yeah, a lot is like, you're to steward the <laughs> land, right? The stewards of the earth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in the legend of Korra, there's a question of, is that the only way? And is there a different different way that you can have a relationship to yeah. the earth and to the spiritual realm as well. Yeah. And before we go to this space, cause I really want to go there. I did have one more thing I wanted to lift up from what you said. Uh, one of the things that I find really important about what you said with Cora's discomfort around believing that there is light in the darkness and I, I think that 
I, that struck home for me because I often feel that way is that like there's mm-hmm. I, I see things on the news with people who say things that are atrocious and appalling and I'm like there's no light there mm-hmm. like yeah. it, the light has gone out there is there's no way I can there's no redemption possible from what they just <laughs> said uh Mitch McConnell um and I and I think that I'm really struggling with with that and so like I I'm in this place right now that I'm feeling my heart like starting to beat a little bit faster as I talk about this, but it's, it's, it's really difficult to get yourself into a state where if you are in a binary mindset to feel safe enough to uh, even approach the binary with a 10 foot pole, much less actually like pushing it aside Right. And so yeah. I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious what it looks like to, to do that. What is, what is the process it, or, and you might not have an answer, but I'm just curious, this is for anybody. Like, what is the process when you know that you're in that space and you want to do something about it? Is, is there a process? Is there a, a question to ask or red flags to pay attention to? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Hmm. I'm, I'm just curious. I don't know. <laughs> So I can I can put on my my English teacher hat for you and tell you an exercise that we do in my class right at the jump second day of class because I'm a relentless killjoy is um, this activity <laughs> called unlearning our privilege and so okay. at the beginning because it's a writing and critical thinking class is what I usually teach so I'm teaching them to get in the habit of being curious that's how I frame it I tell them I want you to be curious I want you to ask questions and not just about other people in the world around you but about yourself I want you to ask. Why did I do that? Why did I use that word? Why am I making this thing? Because I'm trying to train them. I always tell them on the first day, I'm trying to train you to think before you speak, basically. And if I can do that, I've done my job. But when we start out, I have them get into groups and then get up a working definition of privilege. And we always emphasize a privilege is a benefit. It gives you a leg up. It's not available to everybody. And it can be suspended at any time. And then we start thinking through, okay, what are privileges that we have? Um, And when we do this exercise, I emphasize that you need to think about your privileges. They are things you enjoy. You get benefits off of them. So you want to keep them. And they're also, they act like filters, like a photo filter. So your privileges shape what you can see. And it's not really, it's neither good nor bad. It's just a fact. And it's something that you need to know about yourself. So going through and thinking, okay, like me, Brenna, I am... I'm white, I'm cisgendered, I'm mostly able-bodied, I came from a middle-class home, I have two parents, I was able to do not everything I wanted, but I I had a safe, quote-unquote, growing up experience because I had a a house, a roof over my head, and I always knew where my meal was coming from, right? So all of that shapes what I understand in the world. And when we talk about this in my Mm -hmm. class, I tell my students, I'm not making you come up with this list so that you feel bad about yourself. I'm making you come up with this list so that when something happens, when you experience that moment that you're describing, where you're like, I'm not in a great place and the world is, it feels like the world's bad and something kind of makes you feel uncomfortable when it presses on one of those privileges, that's the moment when you go, right, my filters are shaping what I'm receiving here. And sometimes your filters makes it feel really doom and gloomy. Sometimes your filters make you feel like that's not true because that's not my experience. And it's not about getting defensive. I always tell my students it's about remembering, right, my filters. I might not be seeing the image Mm. clearly. So that's an opportunity for me to come with sort of a a posture of humility is what I tell my students. And be open to someone telling you Mm. that's not true 
And that doesn't make it any less ouch when sometimes it's something really personal or something that feels high stakes, but it is an opportunity mm. for you to kind of frame it that way in your head as like a, okay, something's pressing on one of my filters or my, my filters preventing me from seeing the image clearly or seeing the image as someone else sees it. So maybe it's a good time to listen or to ask questions if that's helpful to you. Mm. So if I were to boil that down into a goal, I, what I heard is cultivate more awareness <laughs> around what will, what will lift up this posture of humility, right? It, it's, um, is that a fair, like reductionist version of what you just said? Yeah. I think, uh, Ted Lasso summed it up pretty nicely. Actually, was it this last season? Be curious, not judgmental. I think that's season two. Mm. It, I don't know if the I word was that. judgmental, but it was, uh, him playing darts, one of the most powerful moments in Ted yeah. Lasso, and he was able yeah. to totally best someone, basically, through the power of humility, and the downfall of the his opponent was their lack of humility and their lack of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, mm. And... That's my favorite norm, anytime we set yeah. norms for a group, yeah. is choose curiosity over criticism. Yeah. That's a great one. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and, and I think okay. that it definitely rings true for Cora here. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. If, I don't, so if you, you wanted just, to keep going, sorry. Yeah, it. But I was gonna say I was gonna go back to what you had said before, which is you had you had started to bring up this. Uh, the what is the liminality between the material world and the spirit world? And I, I wanted to go there and see if you could, like, what, what do we think's going on here? And again, this is for anybody. What do we think's going on here? And what, what is the liminal space between? Is there a, is there a binary? What is the, what is the difference? Where do we live if we're not in either or both? What, just whoever, what do we got here? <laughs> well, I don't have too much, um, really authority or background to speak so much to to how those th two things really <laughs> interact but I will say that one thing that I'm thinking about is when we were talking about the um, defensiveness that a lot of us especially those of us who fit inside of a binary or that a binary happens to serve us and give us power why we get so defensive is because it does point to the fact that we create binaries for a reason, not only to help us better understand the world, but more importantly, I think we create binaries to set power dynamics. Yeah. And that's what's rub mm. we're we're getting, you know, that's wrestling our feathers is that we're going we're afraid of losing power when we disempower a binary. And you know, what does that implication mean for me not being able to claim power because I relied on that binary? So again, back to the earth versus us, we like that binary because it gives us power over the earth mm. um, versus mm -hmm. if we are one, we have now a responsibility to the earth. Um, yeah. And how do we how do, we, how do we change so much about how we operate in our single households, let alone to, you know, nationwide, worldwide, global-wide? Um, so you can 
think of obvious repercussions of that. Um, yeah. But I think they're always about power, power dynamics and what does that mean when that breaks down and that power is revealed to be transparently constructed. Yeah. Mm. I think Cora's... I think that's so important. Yeah, Cora's in a tough bind here because in her head, the way that it has been framed up to this point in the season, the spirit world and the material world are the two... That's the binary. But Cora, mm-hmm. Cora herself is a liminoid mm-hmm. space because she is both... She is a human. She is a human bender, but she also has the light spirit of the avatar in her. So she is both spirit and material. She's so the I, bridge. Yeah, she's the bridge between the two worlds. That's how they've been framing it all along, right? So I think that's maybe partially, it's not just who she is as a person, but this crisis is really difficult for her existentially because she has not wrestled with the fact that she exists as as both. And also, if there is light in the dark, the unfortunate inverse is also true, which is that there is darkness in the light. And I think that that's part of why she's so afraid in this episode, because she just cannot deal with the fact that evil's not fully evil and good's not fully good. And they have to be with each Mm. other in order to make any sense. Man, wouldn't it be nice if that were the case? (laughs) If if there was a clear line, right? Wouldn't Wouldn't it be nice? And I think, I mean, my students... I teach first year college. I've got Generation Z, Zoomers, literally, unfortunately, Zoomers. And <laughs> but that that is one thing that they're really comfortable with as a concept where they're like, there's there's no like it's all good or it's all bad. It's just kind of a big mishmash in the middle. They feel very comfortable with that as a concept, which is part of why yeah. I love that storytelling has kind of turned a corner in the last decade or so. There's less outright just baddies and yeah. more people with complicated storylines or um, generational trauma is the bad guy, right? In Encanto. So I think that that is something that is less of a crisis point for them, but it is still a conversation they're engaged in. As a Slytherin, I also find that not very difficult to swallow. (laughs) 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 Maybe we're just raising a generation of Slytherins. Oh, maybe. Probably not. (laughs) I'm going to guess no on that, but, you know, it'd be nice. Oh, man. But, I mean, like, we we crave that it would be, you know, black and white. But, honestly, it wouldn't be great because binaries, even if you fit into them, even if they, you know, give you power in this, you know, socially constructed structure, they're bad for us. Yeah. And (laughs) even if you are the person with the privilege, they're so, so bad for us. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad for your immortal soul is sort of the punchline. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, you actually don't have power over it. And categories are supposed to serve us. But when it comes to binaries that create power dynamics, they actually rule us. Yeah. And they do not serve us, no matter who you are in the situation. That's obviously not to minimize the <laughs> obvious violent effects of, um, you know, um, oppression that definitely hurts <laughs> the oppressed yeah. more. Yes. But um, yeah, it obviously just hurts human beings, period. Because it tells us a lie about ourselves. Yeah. Mm. Do we see that with uh, Unalak? Do we see that with Wang Xingtong? Uh, like, in the mm-hmm. way that he navigates this episode? Uh, no humans. Humans are bad. Uh, I hate <laughs> the last humans I came in contact with. 
except for except for except Unalak. But Unalak, he's cool. Yeah. Unalak's cool. <laughs> he's Team Unalak for whatever reason. <laughs> You're Looking always the only exception the... to your rule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but do we see that in the way that they think as they're trying to move uh, Unalak specifically, the way that he's trying to uh, create power mm-hmm. structures? Do we see those types of concepts play out at all with with any of those characters? In a couple of our previous episode of yours that you gave us to listen, which was phenomenal, um, someone mentioned that they didn't trust Unalak right away because he spoke in such absolutes. And I think that too was a red flag for me. Yeah. And he's spending this whole entire episode being so convinced that he is what the world needs, <laughs> that he has literally no room to entertain, to even entertain the idea of listening to the world who he's claiming to to do this for and hearing what he's doing to the world and hearing that he's hurting the world um so yeah he is definitely a a deep victim of uh relying on the binary to move forward with this plan because without that strict belief in that he he would not be um doing the things that he's doing basically yeah i think unalak's a perfect example of someone who has just enough knowledge to be dangerous because at the opening of season two book two (laughs) i think actually his his initial suggestion these worlds shouldn't be separated they used to be more connected there used to be like free transit Mm -hmm. between that's better for all of us i think that initial (laughs) premise is good yeah but then he doesn't go any further with how do i do that well and then he's like aha the answer is that there should be a dark avatar because I want power. Gimme, gimme, gimme. So it's like, oh, you have done just as you you read a smidge about like breaking down privilege and barriers, and then you were like, and now I will leverage that for my benefit. <laughs> and it's like, oh, n- yeah. Now I will monetize this knowledge. No. <laughs> yeah, this makes me so sad because this is so real. Yeah, <laughs> and it's one of those things where I I think we've talked about this on the podcast previously, but. Oftentimes, the 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 villain, so to speak, has the right idea. <laughs> like, there's a lot of like really oh solid, gosh. important things yes. that they're rallying yeah. behind. Especially like Amon, for instance, and then now Unalak is like, yes, this is what Korra ends up doing. Spoiler alert! Right, this is what happens: is this integration of the spirit world yeah. and the material world that mm-hmm. we have been trying to prevent for thousands of years, and then it's the same thing with Amon, like. Mm-hmm. We, benders did have too much privilege there was too much going on it's just that both of these people are taking it to to such an extreme that what happens is it demonizes the goal yeah rather than the the, the fact that they went about it entirely tragic in the wrong way and we see that in our own world all the time yeah. there's a there's a line from unalak this episode that like hit me in the in the heart is like i it felt so real, and I hated it. I hated every bit of it. And it's the moment where he tells Janora. Tell us what you hated, it's, Sunshine. It's, uh, the moment where Janora, he goes, uh, in the most patronizing and mansplainy way ever, is like, uh, you shouldn't believe everything you read. Yeah. And I'm like, because uh, 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 that's like, <laughs> I felt like he was telling me, like, you uh, you shouldn't listen to, to articles that you're reading about vaccines right now, okay? Right? <laughs> like, I've, I've got this facebook group where i they have the right information <laughs> yeah. like it just felt very like 
Uh, no, uh, if Fatu gets out, uh, the world's going to suffer uh, immensely. Uh, and it's just the way that he said it and the, how he said it and the fact that he said it to Janora, who I love. Uh, how dare. I just, I just, it, it, I, I wanted to, to really cause and inflict pain uh, <laughs> on Unalak and Wan Chitong. Oh, uh, yeah. For ratting her out that way. Uh, Deeply uncool. Those, Coming off the so heels the of a, a great a moment. Better, the foxes do life. deserve, they deserve a better life and a better working environment. But coming off an excellent moment for Wan Shitong when he's like, there's a little box. And inside the little box, there's a little man. That is like peak Wan Shitong. <laughs> was so confident about that <laughs> so shit too. Like, I've been misinformed. <laughs> the nature little of little boxes. <laughs> oh, that's well, so good. And then he turns around and he's like, actually, I'm a turncoat and I sold you out. Ha ha. So there. No, my man, you had such a good moment just now. And, you know, I actually wrote this moment down for something else that the fact that like knowledge for knowledge's sake does nothing. Yeah. It seems right. It's one like, well, have, like having just, an empty library with skeletons in it, like, like having just, him read all those books and die from from season two of Avatar. <laughs> yeah. Did nothing to better the world around him. It all is a literal ivory tower. And now it's just underground yeah. in the spirit world. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where, like, I, I feel like it's important to, to emphasize that it knowledge without ethics or morals or values serves no one. Yeah. Like, and I just like it, in fact, it can be harmful for you to have all this knowledge and mm-hmm. not also have the moral alignment. Right. And it's yeah. like, we, we talked with, uh, we talked about it with Unalak where, you know, just enough for you to be a real problem. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a similar deal where Wan Tong has all this information. It seems like he has no way of validating whether it is true or not. And it seems like all of these things are – there has to be some sort of filter through which that we are going – like, right? What, tell me. like, Here's what I want to know about Wan Tong. He was so – like, men only use this information to start war and destruction. And he was totally against all that. And then now here comes this dude who's like, I want to bring on the end of the world and the total destruction. He's like, okay. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Is that not Seems like you're a real friend of the spirits. Yeah. <laughs> What happened over the 70-year period of him being underground? Yeah. What took place? Yeah. And the the idea uh, that knowledge is something that can be hoarded, like you're a dragon guarding your collection, is... Totally. This episode is obviously saying that's wrong and incorrect, but, oh boy, the damage you can do when you've got key information, you're like, I'm not sharing that. Not because I don't know that it would be super valuable, but because it's mine and you can't have it. It's just like, ooh, girl, readjust your context. Yeah. Yeah. I have, so the question that... I, I want to bring up in this is do we kind of retreat in a similar way when we are presented with liminal spaces that we potentially could like challenge our belief systems or have us to like make uh, icky, hard, messy decisions in life? Do we find ourselves going into our own library and like penting ourselves down and like let not, me retreat to my ivory exact, tower? <laughs> but like, do we, do we see us do do, do we as individuals find ourselves in spaces where we do that because we're approaching some form of, of liminality. I, I've never done that. I don't I'm know what you're talking about. On it. <laughs> I, I handle my liminality perfectly. Oh, yeah. And with grace. Yeah. <laughs> you never fumble the ball. No. Um, I think every, every human being has 
hard time with this. And especially, I feel like in our generation, we're really bad at growing uh, in community, and which means growing, especially right now with social media and most of our lives are very public. It means being messy in public. Yeah. Being wrong in public. Being wrong in public. Yeah. And because no, never. <laughs> we would, we're, <laughs> because of this conversation that we're having um, as a community and as a generation about privilege and how swiftly the conversation gets wrapped up around um, or fragility taking that conversation over and being so afraid of the privileged being caught being privileged or yeah. being caught being wrong about their privilege or not seeing something because of their lens, like you're saying, Brenna. Um, and f- the myth that we believe that that is the end of you, yeah. that that is going to ruin you and that you will, you'll be canceled and canceled. Yeah. And, uh, like if you're, if we're living in that fear as a community and as a culture, um, that is a sure way to ensure we do not grow. You don't go anywhere. And that yeah. we do not challenge boundaries as soon as mm. they get messy because, but like, they're always going to be messy. And, um, I think that's a really frustrating thing for myself and to see, um, in my generation, I think that this requires us to have belief that we're going to make it out on the other side of that mistake. Okay. Because it's not even about us. And that like, we turn inwards towards ourselves so, so fast to freak out and to worry about how am I going to be after this public mistake or even, even if it's like an intimate private thing, but like just being so driven by that shame rather than curious enough Mm. to realize that whoever was on the other side of that conversation has already lived through so much of that. And they're, they don't depend on you being okay. Like, you need to um, take on that a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. And like, you're going to make it out okay. And we need more examples of people doing that um, well and people doing that publicly. And so that we have a community of people, especially people with privilege, who are like, I'm, yeah. we're going to be our support system and we're not going to put this on the people that we messed up for. Yeah. We're not going to ask the marginalized body to bear. Like, to be our emotional support as well. That's not fair. Yeah, after you just messed up, and now you have yeah. to support my breakdown about this. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that might be a little yeah. bit of a tangent, but I, it's definitely something that I think about um, with the messiness of challenging these uh, binaries and, and what that means for us and how we fumble about that work. Yeah. Well, and growth requires risk. Like, that's just yeah. part of the package. So if you want to get mm. to post-liminal, if you want to encounter the existential crisis and come the out the other side in the new status, like, that's the ideal, right? You want to get through to, I have new knowledge and now I'm moving on. In order to do that, you have to take a risk and you have to go into that with eyes open, knowing you're probably going to mess up. And there's just no way around that. I think that's actually one of the things this episode... Like I said, I think one of the things I that endears this show to me so deeply is it is so openly messy sometimes. But one of the things this episode yeah. does get really well is it honors how Cora feels. Iroh tells her, it's okay yes. to be afraid. 
It's okay. But you can't let the fear then overtake everything. Like you can't let it shape your worldview. You have to acknowledge your fear. You have to see that it's there and then keep going through. Try helping someone else. Maybe that will help you make sense of what you're learning here. So I think that's one of the things that really helps when you're in an existential crisis moment because somebody's bumping up against your binary. That's a good chance for you to go, I'm afraid. That's okay. I'm probably going to mess it up. That is also okay. Normalize, like, changing your mind when you learn new information. And then use that to kind of power through to the other side. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm hearing a lot of, uh, like, I've been itchy around the amount of Brene Brown quotes that I wanted to, to lift up. Um, I made it through an entire episode like, without mentioning Brene Brown. Never! I think I made it through the last episode. But it, but it's one of those things where, like, so close. like it's it's the the man in the arena quote from Teddy Roosevelt, right? It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out where the strong man stumbles or where mm-hmm. the doer of deeds could have done them better, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? But it's, it's, it's the person who steps into the arena, right? And knowing that you might get hurt, right? It's the person who is like, they're scared of the dust, the sweat and the blood. And they do it anyway, because if we are brave enough, often enough, we will fall. Yeah. Right. And I'm hearing that we, that we want to cultivate brave spaces. Right. And and, there's just so many like ties from her work that I'm hearing in Mm -hmm. that whole um, lesson you just kind of gave us. And it just, it seems really important to kind of lift that up Um, because I, I, I really want to kind of focus in on this moment that you just lifted up because I wrote it down for a different way because I love Iroh, but I think there's one moment where he messes up in this one, and that's mm-hmm. where he says, everything is okay. Yeah. And Cor- and Cora, in no. her four-year-old self, is like, no, it's not okay. That's right. And I am like, good for you. <laughs> good mm-hmm. for you because not every child has the capacity to stand up for themselves back, like yeah. that. And Enneagram right, 8 back. always will. But <laughs> yes. And that is pow- something. Like, I love that energy because yeah. I do not have that energy. I'd have been like, everything's okay. And then I would have been resentful because I'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm not happy. You know, I would have been, I would have held that in. But she like rips into Iroh and says it's not okay. And then he takes a different tack. Yeah. And I think that's where. Yes. Iroh shines. Yes, yes, the adjust. To use a light metaphor, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like Iroh comes in after that and really helps her understand the consequences of her actions and her thoughts and yes. her feelings. And that helps her change. Whereas just, you know, this, <laughs> what what do you call it? The Oh, I'm losing, the, I lost the word. Uh, oh, dear. Him saying everything is okay <laughs> didn't work. Right? Yeah. Okay. And so... I think it's it's important to when we are sitting in another person's liminal space, even if we are post liminal on that situation, even mm-hmm. if we have processed and moved forward, if we're sitting with someone who hasn't, we can't rush their process. Yeah. Right. And it, it seems like this is an example of Iroh being that accompaniment alongside it where he's like, I'm going to walk you as far as I can. And then you have to walk the rest of the way. Yeah. I think one of and the I things think that that's really important. Yeah, one of the things that Cora's really good about doing is holding space for her own emotions. Like she is actually really good mm. about saying, "No, I don't like this. I don't want to do that because these reasons." That gets more complicated for her in later seasons because she's kind of <laughs> t- processing through real very serious trauma. But one of the she things 
Yeah, and one yes. of the things that she is good at that Aang has to grow into is being able to have that firm boundary and saying, no, it's not okay. I don't like that. I'm scared. I don't want to go there. I don't like the way you look. Because she can articulate that. The important thing, like you're mm. saying, is that Iroh responds to that and adapts. He goes, okay, what used to work does not work for this person. I'm trying something else. I'm going to give you language. I'm going to help you process. And then, like you mm. just mentioned, that he goes with her as long as he can. And then he says, you have to go the rest of the way. Like, from here on out, it's all you. You have to climb the mountain on your own. And I think that is mm. one of the things that makes this episode such a standout. That he helps her as much as he can. But that also he tells her, you have to be the one. When you help this little adorable dragon bird, you have to be the one that faces your own fear, works through it, mm. and comes out the other side. Only you can do that. Oh, uh, what a gift this <laughs> this episode has been. Wow, there's so much rich content here. I'm like I so said, we lucked for, in. For Man, it's such a good episode. <laughs> Well, then what we'll do is we'll uh, transition into some nice music for our listeners and they'll tickle their ears for a little bit. And then we'll come on back and uh, enjoy each other's company for a little bit longer. Sounds great. We'll be right back. Sounds great. Welcome back to Bending Not Breaking. I'm so glad you had some music to rest your ears for a little bit. And we are just so excited to be back in those ears talking to you. And Brenna and Sky are still here. And we're going into our next segment, Tips and Dips. <laughs> That's right, everyone. Tips and Dips. Tips, like the tip of the mountain. It's the mountaintop, the tip of the whipped cream on their Sunday. It's just that part that you get to first and you really love it and you want to get into it. Mm. And then there's the dips, which is like, that's, that's like your low because it dips down. And like, I really don't like doing dips as a workout. They also hurt. So that's kind of, that's what I'm thinking. Like tips and dips. What do y'all think? I mean, there were mountains. There was valleys. a literal mountain and they did go down a significant dip when they went in the spirit crocodile. I think this is a really rele relevant title. Yeah. It's themed. I'll, I'm, I just want everybody to know that I'm hearing overwhelming positivity around this title. <laughs> so um, this is winning. This is winning. Flames on the sure. side of his head. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, I would love to start with everybody's tips and dips. Who would like to share... First, you can go in any order. Just tell us, tell us what you want to do. Who wants to go first? Anyone? 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 I think I'm gonna jump in. It's Brenna. Um, that my tip is when baby Cora runs into the scary dog spirits, and she tells them, "You're not scary. You just look that way." 
And then she says, we can be friends. <laughs> and they become adorable puppies instead. I love it. Oh, that's so fun. I like that moment, too. I love it. Other tips? kid way to to say that yeah so blunt i mean that is like not to regress back to the beginning of the episode but to talk about regressing that is such a a perfect embodiment of somebody who does not know how to deal with their liminal point being pressured so much so that she regresses all the way back to like a tiny child and she's like no i don't want to because i am baby and then once she's able to actually interact with it she becomes an adult again (laughs) oh that's so good Quite literally. That's so good. Literal, yeah. (laughs) Did y'all have tips and dips as well? You can do either. Or both. No, I I was saying, do y'all have answers as well? Oh, yes. That you would like to share? I'll go next. Okay. Um, In general, for me, my my tip is baby Cora. That's great. Uh, Throughout the whole episode, just in general, it's just super adorable i love every moment that i get with baby cora from episode one to this episode and it's just it's such a pleasure and i also see like it really just gives me this reminder and this feeling of like man we regress we go back to our most childlike state that never got a chance to grow from from this grow out of this if um, we aren't given the chance. And yeah. so I I love the metaphor. I love the imagery. I love baby Cora, period. And so stand account for baby Cora. Yeah. Her little one pant leg rolled up. Yeah. <laughs> Iconic. It's all so good. Really? She's so uh, I think for me, I'm going to start with my dip. Uh, my dip is that uh, we don't get to see Ko in the spirit world. Uh, I, I like Ko as a character. And terrifying. In the spirit world, uh, I think it's a missed opportunity to not have Ko show up. Uh, my my tip, what I really like about this episode, is that we don't see Ko show up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because Ko is nightmare inducing. Um, Imagine if they so did a special episode with Ko and Father Glowworm together. You'd never no. sleep again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nope, yeah. Nope. Would hate it. Would hate it and love it. Uh, but yep. Cursed. My, my body could not take it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a children's so show. Well, it's like episode. it's it's so interesting because like that's probably the one horror movie that I would watch is <laughs> something with with those two because I I don't like it. But like this, I'm just gonna put on horror movies and be like, no, Co shows up. And- <laughs> no. Oh no. <laughs> no. Mean you've never seen The Shining. Co shows up. And- uh-uh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Avatar subreddit would confront that and say no. I would ask them first. Uh okay. Um, what do you mean Co's not in Midsummer? <laughs> oh, you're going to hit with the Midsummer. Wow. I watched a different movie than you. Uh, no, actually, I haven't Looking seen it. But I'm going I'm to reel it back to the happy oh, place <laughs> with, with my tip. Uh, mm, weird weird yeah. sentence. Okay, um, so <laughs> my favorite moment of this episode is when Cora actually transforms into her older self again alongside the baby dragon conform (laughs) transforming um first of all it's gorgeous and i don't think i've it's like it happens so seamlessly that you're like oh shit like all of a sudden she's older again and like i don't think i've ever watched that scene without Mm. almost involuntarily like cheering for when it happens i'm just like yeah so great she's so happy yeah um 
And I'm just so proud of both of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But also, Mm. even more than, like, the moment actually happening, it's the lead-up for me. Because for Cora to be able to get there, she had to ask for help. Like, asking for help was, like, the driving um, decision for her that enabled her to, to get to that to that moment on the mountaintop on the tip tip um and it's i noticed it this time around watching because you can kind of track the journey right so when she enters the spirit world (laughs) she immediately asserts herself as the avatar expecting to get help and you contrast that (laughs) with uh janora asking for help and finding it immediately. Yeah. Um, and being able to successfully move along her journey. And Cora just immediately getting stuck. Mm. Just like in trouble the moment she asserts herself as the avatar in uh, in the spirit world. And it's such a different posture. And then uh, her pretty much finding what she's putting out there. So like Ira was saying is like when you look for the light, you will find it. And when you look for the darkness, that's all you'll see. Yeah. And Korra kind of brings, like, this weird energy into the spirit world because she's so frustrated. She's not confident in there yet. Um, And Mm. to gain confidence, she actually has to help, ask for help. And it absolutely reminds me of the, perhaps my favorite Mr. Rogers quote. Mm. He talks about when he was a little boy. Always a tip with Mr. Rogers. I know, right? There's so many. And, like, this one is just, like, gets me the most. Um, so you know it's going to be good when it's a Mr. Rogers quote. So he talks about when he was a little boy and he would see, like, scary things on the news. And his mother would say to him, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And mm. um, I love that that's, like, kind of the answer for Cora in this episode. And Iroh reinforces that with, like, a very quotable, like, sometimes the best way to solve your problems is to solve someone else's. Yeah. And so another thing that contrast between like her and uh janora is um when janora has a spirit coming towards her like it's boomju and she's like pumped and like they help each other out and they're friends and stuff but as soon as something comes flying at cora her initial reaction is to smack it because yeah. <laughs> she's scared so yeah, she swats it sad moment. It, is sad. it really was um and she immediately says sorry i swatted you I was afraid. I was afraid. And so coming back to, like, this is Cora responding in her most, like, inner child-like reaction to fear. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid. So what's my response? I hit the things around (laughs) me. Um, And this whole episode, the journey to the top of the mountain, is, like, her, um, Mm. her feeling afraid and acting out and finding more and more darkness because she's continuing to put that out. And then that switch for her when she asks the dogs for help and they switch. She has light inside her. Yeah. They find and help each other. And then she transforms and it's like, oh, like swirling around. Yeah. Swelling music. And I'm like, yes, that's what I love. Um, So yeah, that moment and the build up to it. it. It's so good. I love it. All right, we have had some tips. We've had some dips. Uh, I have. I know I have one more dip, and then I think maybe we might have one. I don't. I don't know where we are. We'll figure out after that. But um, <laughs> Wan Chi Tong's 
illustration of knowledge not being mm. the only <laughs> the <Ooh>. only source <laughs> for good right yeah was a, was a dip for me um like knowledge in and of itself is neither good nor bad and we see that through this metaphor and it just makes me sad yeah. um because i really like learning and i really think learning is really important and i think that i have become better by learning and by gaining knowledge <laughs> by being formed by what i have learned hmm. but that's not always true and it makes me sad because <laughs> because it one makes me question whether i'm going in any sort of right direction but also it like it just feels icky and i just don't like it so i'm just naming it as as a dip as a dip yeah for me. i think the the dippiest moment for me is when Unalak shows up, which sucks anyways, but then when her yeah, puppy friends, right yeah, that is the dip, um, but then the puppy friends turn dark, and then mm. more dark spirits start, like, showing up or getting bigger, and it's just this super sad moment for me, because Cora has pushed through something that's very hard for her, and she's yeah. she's learned something, and that is such a sad moment because it's like I wanna I wanna wrap her learning in bubble wrap yeah. so that she takes it and does it again because when she gets yeah. punished for coming through the other side, it's like oh no, she's gonna be more like shy about it or a little more hesitant about kind of engaging with mm. her binaries because she got punished for getting it right and also getting it a little wrong at the end. So that oh, that's a yeah. bummer of a moment to me. The real world. It is the real world. Yep. Yeah. I mean, my my dip was when furry fight turned dark. Because <laughs> how sad. Scary, you. <laughs> Yikes. We should have gone the opposite direction. Wow. We should have done dips, then tips. You end on the high points. What were we freaking thinking? Oh. Well, don't worry. Amateur that was hour. my strategy. Plenty of good things to, to come. No worries. No worries. Well, now that we're all down in the dumps, we can move into our intentions. Um, or down in the dips. Down in, Now that we're down in the dips. Anyway, moving on to our <laughs> devotion. Uh, and this week we're focusing on the element of earth and, of course, our lens for this week, uh, which is liminality. And so our goal has been to kind of create a intention, uh, a goal that we can work on um, for the coming week uh, that we can focus on for the coming week um, that will help us c gain more balance within ourselves and using these these as our as our guides the element of earth and liminality so i would love it if sunshine would you kick us off sure and tell us about your your intention i i really enjoyed our part of our conversation today around what it means to be inside of the spaces uh, that are part of the binary and so for me, I'm vi envisioning that as barriers or walls that are put up that are, that are um, those foundational pieces that are, that are put around us uh, that we might not even know are there. Mm. Um, and so I think for me, it's, it's cultivating an awareness of how I'm feeling when someone else knocks down those barriers and what that means for mm. me and how do I respond to that. Mm. Um, and then what does it mean for me to knock down those barriers mm. uh, and how do I uh, recognize when those moments are happening and so um or when they need to happen and so i think for for me this week is is an awareness of my feelings when those things get pushed um and those walls get pushed or those mm. barriers oh, wow. get moved mm. um that's what i want to focus on i love that yeah wow 
Sky or Brenna, do you want to tell us about your goal or intention? I think this is always my intention because it does not come naturally to me. I am going to yield back to the concept that the earth is humble and I'm going to, my intention is always to try and cultivate an attitude of humility so that I can turn towards curiosity, not being mm. judgmental or criticism as we talked about earlier. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Curiosity is I a hard it. one. Um, I think I'm going, to, it's a very practical one. I'm going to be more patient with my compost. <laughs> Speaking of earth. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Composting has been like super exciting and rewarding, but not fast enough for me. Um, and I'm a very impatient person generally. So it's been a time of discomfort <laughs> and, and, and honestly growth to, to learn from it and to, um, be patient with the earth doing its thing in a way that is doing it so much better than I could ever do it in the ways that we've taught ourselves to like speed Mm. up that process. Um, and, um, just in sit in the process and actually enjoy the process, not kind of like be Mm. kind of looking at and timing it and, and planning all of that too much, but like actually savoring that it takes long. Mm. Um, and I think that'll make the the end result, like, so much more exciting. Um, wow. So, yeah, like, literally <laughs> um, being patient with the earth. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that because this, it, it to me, it, that sounds a lot like just surrendering to the process and what a better what a great way to just like call out like surrendering to the fact that you know we can't avoid liminal spaces Mm. (laughs) um and it's just like having having patience with ourselves when we when we do find ourselves in those spaces and i i i just i think that's really beautiful um so thank you for lifting that up um what you got ben yeah for me i i started thinking about what it feels like to be claustrophobic mm. um, and what not my, great is what I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what what is my body how does my body respond in in moments where I feel cramped and like I don't fit and I, I remember vividly being in a cave uh, where we were like traveling and we had to like there was this this is a really small space not everybody might be able to get through it and of course like i can get through it and it was Mm -hmm. terrifying because i was like if i get stuck how will i get out yeah and it was this really like my body like started my heart started racing and i my body started doing all of the things that it needed to not do in order for me to get through that cramped small space yeah and i think it made me think about how we react to liminal spaces with with our fears and our existential crises, right? Where oftentimes our bodies will start reacting and communicating to us that we are in struggle and in crisis, and it's the exact opposite reaction that we need. And so I really am just trying to focus on cultivating awareness around listening to my body and really paying attention to 
when my heart starts racing and really being curious around why and what's bringing that up. And I, I really just want to pay attention to that this week as I engage <laughs> with, with that. Yeah. Um, I love that. That's one of the things we talked about in um, trauma response therapy when you're learning about your nervous system. Like your body is telling you, like you were just saying, your body is telling you you've hit the limit. Honor what your body says. It's okay. It's not a failure. It's just your body's telling you that's that's the line. You've arrived at Mm -hmm. it. Back off. And that's okay. Yep. It is. Oh, okay. Well, that brings us to our favorite segment. I should say my favorite segment, which is gratitude. Uh, and for those of you who are listening and might be new, this is a segment for us where we are grateful for a character in this episode. And we can be grateful for any reason uh, that maybe they taught us something new. Maybe they helped us feel a certain way. Maybe they did something really kind for another character, but we are grateful for them for some reason. And I kind of want to just pass the buck and, and say, who are you all grateful for? Anyone anyone want to go first? Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to nominate um, one of you. You're so good. We were that puff daddy, uh, Jeff, of I them staring at each other. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's such a small moment. But it's the moment where Tenzin is talking about, I can't believe I've sent Janora in there. They don't have their bending. They're not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And Boomy is sitting there going, I haven't been a bender my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I've, like, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that that's such a real moment where, pe- where people will make statements or comments that are just. Your privilege is your showing. Your privilege is showing, right? Yeah. Like the, those moments where in. in I want to give gratitude towards Boomy because there is one the the he's kind of stood up for himself in that moment but just to be seen as like hey I'm not less than because I don't have bending mm. um and, and so uh, you know for me just to experience that and that he experienced that with grace and um gives us permission to do that and to, to recognize that that it's okay that we're not alone when we feel those types of feelings um, it's something I'm incredibly grateful for. So I'm giving my, my gratitude to Boomy. Mm. Oh yeah. I love that. And call out that privilege. The mm. way that they stumbled and tripped over their yeah. words after like, <laughs> like, oh, oh God, shit, you're, you're right. You're superior intellect. Because <laughs> they revealed it right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually one of the things I love about the show so much is that Cora tries to complicate what we take away from Avatar The Last Airbender. So one of the things that we come out of Avatar The Last Airbender with is that Aang is a wonderful Avatar. He's so good at his job. And this show comes alongside it and says, yes, and that made him a complicated dad. His legacy made it really hard for him to be a good dad to all his kids. And I think that's such Mm. rich storytelling. That's so risky. That's part of why I love Korra so much. It takes so many narrative Mm -hmm. risks. And that moment is a great encapsulation of someone saying like, hey, I'm not a bender, and I'm fine. Janora's going to be fine. Everything's great. Be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, who's next? Who Who else are we grateful for? I, I know it's, like, such an obvious answer, but I am grateful for Iroh in here. I'm grateful for Iroh all oh. the time. That's why he won the Avatar The Last Airbender elimination bracket on the subreddit. Um, but <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Um, but one of the things I think is really great 
about Iroh in this episode is that he does not ask Korra to change who she is fundamentally. He, she's, Mm. Korra is a really intense, direct, combative person. And he tells her, it's okay to feel the way you feel. It's okay. It's okay to be upset. Now what you need to do is do some other things. Help someone else that will help you feel less threatened here. But that so few, especially young women characters, get allowed, quote unquote, to be difficult. And he does not ask her to soften. He just asks her to honor how she feels and then listen. Be curious. And Mm. I'm super grateful for that. And the fact that you can be both. Yeah. Like, I think that's beautiful, too, is that you can... You don't have to sacrifice all of the wonderful things that we can celebrate about Korra. So I'm glad that we had that moment where we can celebrate her claiming of her emotions and her setting that boundary with Iroh. And she doesn't lose that when she becomes a curious, vulnerable person. Yeah. It could be both of those things at the same time. Yeah. We were just talking about this with Boba Fett. You can be soft and strong. Mm -hmm. You can be both. Mm. Novel. Wow. (laughs) The amount of people in the Star Wars fandom who are upset about uh, Boba Fett's quote-unquote character change. They're wrong. uh, From the movies to Mm -hmm. the show. Yeah. It's telling. A character that was on screen for like six years. Also, what a, it's a strange I mean, fight to pick. I don't like to tell people that they're wrong very often uh, because I don't like to yuck other people's yums and the other direction. I don't like it when people yuck my yums. But ooh, yuck and yum. I know That's you're welcome. Jot it down. But what a gorgeous <laughs> portrayal by Tamara Morrison! Like, what a thoughtful storyline and acting job he's doing. And people are like, "This sucks," and I'm like, "Wow, you are blocking your own blessings, aren't you? How it's- dare you talk about Moana's dad this way?" Do we not want range within the Star Wars universe? Like, I would like a little bit of range. I love it. I don't, I don't mind the meditative uh, journey that we're on. But anyways, if it's not for you, it's not for you. <laughs> no worries. All right. Well, we have Boomy. We have, oh, got it. Iroh. And then we have... Did we have, is there someone you're grateful for, Sky? Okay, so you'll just dictate to me? <laughs> <laughs> we lost an AirPod. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, oh, no. Yes, so I'll just uh, go by vibes. Um, <laughs> is there someone I'm grateful for as well? Unalak? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I play, I play. Although I was thinking really briefly about how Unalak and Korra kind of have this connection in this episode, meaning in a lot of ways, Unalak shows us what Korra could become Mm. if she didn't learn the lessons in this episode. Um, The way that he, like, Mm. asserts himself into the spirit world um, and the way that he is so determined to um, do what he thinks is right for the world and he is the answer without listening to anybody and just kind of punching his way through. Yeah. And the way that he savors using bending in the spirit world and thinks it's weak to come in through meditation, etc. Yeah. Anyways, so we're talking about who am I grateful for, actually. <laughs> um, to answer the actual question. <laughs> yes. um, I'm grateful for the baby dragon. Match. Yeah. I Aww. love that it is a part of Cora's journey to heal herself in this episode. And... The baby dragon is fucking beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Especially when they transform. Just 
Love a dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just so much metaphor around around all of it that we didn't even get close to because we have other things to focus on. But there's just so much beauty and metaphor that we maybe we'll have to do this episode again another time. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, your gratitude. My gratitude yeah. is for Queen Janora. Uh, there, I don't even. I think I could just stop there, and everybody would understand. But I, I, I think Janora is. I think we often undervalue children, and the wisdom that children have, and we can learn so much if we are willing to listen and again cultivate this posture of humility. And we see Janora lead with such humility and that is what makes her so successful in the spirit world and i'm just grateful for for being able to learn from her and i am thankful that everybody else can watch and see janora in action because man what a gift what a gift she's great janora's the best big fan yep yeah big fan Y'all, that's the show. That's this episode. We did it. We did it. We made it to the end. Woohoo! We um, finished. Bef- before Woo-hoo. we sign off, uh, Sky, Brenna, where can we find y'all if we would like to? And if you would like to share, like, wh- where's the best place to f- listen to your podcast? Where's the best place to engage with all your content? Where, where can folks uh, look y'all up? So you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is Queer Archive Pod. And our podcast is also anywhere you find podcasts and it's called the queer archive if you're dr hooey we are about to we've just finished sort of and they weren't quick um but uh snap reaction episodes to the most recent series and we're about to go back for full episodes to the most recent series someday sometime soon (laughs) also if you're at galley oh yeah next month next month gallifrey one see you there yeah find us i don't know how yeah <laughs> small place we'll see you there wonderful awesome and ben where can they find all of our stuff yeah all, y'all bnb underscore pod that's where you find us on everything we wow. find us on patreon you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter instagram all the things tiktok even we even have a tiktok uh we talk about very little avatar mo- on that TikTok, like, though. there was a, a lot of uh, <laughs> A lot of Star Wars. A lot of Star Wars and, currently. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you can find us there. Yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. Absolutely. But and we highly recommend checking out the Queer Archive and going to check it out if you're a Doctor Who fan for sure. Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch some Doctor Who episodes. Good luck. There's some I good stuff. One. It was interesting. Okay. Beautiful scenery. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I'm, I'm. I got time. So yeah, I'll watch yeah. it. Yeah. Time. Time is relative. Y'all, thank you so much for another great episode. And, and Sky Brenna, thank you so much for joining us. Again, check out the Queer Archive wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, we got more episodes coming. More guests more coming. More guests coming. So so keep listening to us. Thank you so much. I've been Sunshine Mayfield. And this has been Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.